Welcome to the 37th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with thriller writer Raymond Corey, author of the New York Times bestseller, The Last Templar and The Templar Salvation, among other books. Well, this is uh, Jeffrey Deaver, author of, uh, most recently, The Burning Wire, and uh, soon-to-be author of the next continuation James Bond novel. I spend a lot of time writing, a lot of time researching my books, um, but uh, when I'm not doing that, I, I love uh, listening to the Reading and Writing Podcast, which you can hear at readingandwritingpodcast.com. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Raymond Corey, best-selling thriller writer and author of the new book, The Templar Salvation, the sequel to his earlier thriller, The Last Templar. Raymond, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jeff. Sure. If my listeners haven't read one of your novels before, can you give them a sense of what to expect with The Templar Salvation, your new novel? Uh, sure. The Templar Salvation is a contemporary thriller. So it's about uh, a, a uh, it's, it's, it's set mostly in Rome and then in Turkey. And it's uh, the, the, the two main characters are an FBI agent called Sean Riley and an archaeologist uh, turned novelist called uh, Tess Chaikin. And uh, they get um, sucked into a, a search for ancient documents uh, that originated in the Council of Nicaea. Uh, having to do with the early days of Christianity. Um, and the, they're also, uh, someone else is after these documents, and it's, it's kind of a, a very fast-paced, uh, uh, aggressive thriller uh, with a lot of, I mean, I like to write books that have a, are very entertaining, they're page-turners, but at the same time, I like to explore themes that interest me, uh, and I like to put a lot of history in them. So this book, like The Last Templar, has chapters that are set in the past, there's a parallel story going on in 1310 and the contemporary story, which is the bulk of the book is the contemporary story. Right. And do you ever do you ever do you ever have difficulty in, in the writing of the novels in terms of in terms of getting in that historical background and also keeping the, the pace going for a commercial thriller? No, you know what? I find it works really organically. For me, the, the two stories are, are happening at the same time because of the, the events taking place in the contemporary story. So we, 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 I usually open in the past. I'll have a prologue that's set sometime in the past, uh, in the 12th or 13th century, in, in the case of the Templar novels, that, uh, that trigger the story. And then our, 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 our characters today are on this quest. And whenever they reach a point where they discover something, rather than listen to them tell us about it or we i actually just flash back and live it with the characters who were living it at the time so they they uh it's 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 a lot of fun to do uh, there's a there's a there's you have to be careful with the pacing but it it uh they fall into place very organically and then those are kind of the big scenes that i love writing which are the the crucial points of the story back in the past and i'd much rather my readers relive it, live it actually by reading it rather than just hear about it right rather than have two characters talking about it exactly right well you've researched the night templars for your for your novel the last templar and now the templar salvation why do you think there's a continued fascination with the night templars well, you know, it's. I think. I think right now there's a big fascination with the Crusades in general, and I think the Templars were 
probably the the most uh, the sexiest group, if you like, the most intriguing, the most. There were so many myths and legends about them. Uh, they've 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 you know they've built. There's been a mythology built around the Templars for for hundreds of years. Uh, one of the earliest novels of all uh, um, uh, in in the Talisman and uh, and uh, Sir, Sir Walter Scott used. The Templars were an intrinsic part of, of his earliest novels. So I think there's been uh, the fact that they rose to prominence so quickly, so dramatically, and then they were wiped out also so ruthlessly and dramatically uh, lends itself to to uh, to a lot of, uh, you know, for, for a fiction writer, it's it's uh, it's it's really fun territory to play with. It's great material. Thanks. Do you do you have other plans for for other Templar novels in terms of your research? Well, you know, ironically, it's 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 funny. I wrote my second book was called The Sanctuary, and it uh, it wasn't it didn't have anything to do with, with the Last Templar. There were new characters, as also my third novel, The Sign, also had new characters, and there was no no history actually in The Sign. It was entirely a, a, a present day thriller. But in The Sanctuary, the the trigger for the story is is a document that uh, that we discover as we live through the the, the historic chapters. Its origins were Templar. We don't meet any Templars in in that second book, right. but but there was a, a very natural, organic Templar trigger to the story. And it's funny, you know, looking back in hindsight, it never. I suppose I flirted with the idea of wondering whether or not that book could be a, a sequel in the sense that could I reuse the characters of the Last Templar and then use the the angle of well, it's a Templar trigger to the story mm-hmm. uh which certainly commercially would have would have made a lot of sense uh, to follow either the big success of the first book with a book that felt like it was a sequel to it um but somehow that story just for me it did i i preferred creating new characters for it that i could then uh because they leave the world a changed place and for me somehow when i read fiction uh this kind of book and and the last temple was my first book I found it a bit. I find it a bit. It it kind of takes away of the believability. I, I strive for my books to feel very believable, very real, mm-hmm. very gritty, and somehow to have characters live through an amazing adventure like the Last Templar, and then suddenly six months later or a year later, they're living another life <laughs> adventure, and it's the same two people. I right. mean, what are the odds? You know, I, it's, yeah. we sit in fiction all the time. It's 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 part of part of the the the, the protocol, if you like. But somehow, when I was writing my second book, I thought. You know what? It's already uh, uh, quite an amazing concept, you know, looking for something that could potentially prolong our lives dramatically. Um, I wanted it to feel very believable because I researched it from a medical and scientific point of view a lot. And I felt using the same character. So in a long winded answer to your question, there's a lot of potential with the Templars. And uh, my next story uh, also could potentially have a Templar angle to it. But again, I'm going to use the same characters this time. But I don't think I'll mind the Templar angle too much. Right, right. Well, in addition to your novels, you have a background in screenwriting. How does writing a screenplay differ from writing a novel? And do you prefer one over the other? Oh, they're very different, and I vastly prefer writing a novel to a screenplay. Simply because not not so much in the writing. I mean, the writing of a screenplay is so much easier. My my books tend to be quite long, even though they 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 come out at four hundred, you know, pages plus or mm-hmm. minus 
they're actually 140, 150,000 words. Uh, you, the typical thriller that you'll buy, which has 400 pages in hardcover, probably has 100,000 words. So I write quite long books, which my publishers are always <laughs> annoyed with me about. <laughs> uh, you know, they're like, okay, can you give us two-thirds as long, but in two-thirds of the time? Um, but the, so a screenplay is much smaller. I think I, I did an exercise once of doing a words count on a screenplay, and it came out something like 20,000 words. Wow. Uh, so in terms of content, there, there's much less content in them. There's no prose. There's no flourish, if you like. There's no touch in the writing. It's all about the dialogue. It's all about communicating the setting as economically, I mean, literally in one line. You know, the, 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 something that could take four pages in a book will be one line of direction in the screenplay. Um, <laughs> you don't go into the characters' heads as much. So all the, all the internalizing of, of what the character is thinking and feeling that's going on in your head as a writer. You need to communicate that to the audience through dialogue and through action, not through – you can't write it because that would be cheating. You can't in a screenplay say, you know, he was angry or he was feeling this. So writing a screenplay is much, much simpler, I find, than writing it's, – it's, it's no different in terms of you still have to come up with a great story, great right. characters, great motivation, great ending. You, the, that part's the same. But once you have that – you can pre- you, screenplays have people have written Oscar-winning screenplays in three weeks. Right. I kind of doubt someone's written a hundred and fifty thousand word <laughs> New York Times bestseller in three weeks. You know. Sure. And then the, the other side of it, Jeff, is is uh, is that you write a book and your readers read what you write, whereas you write a screenplay and no matter who you are, you're going to get rewritten. Other people are going to be involved: directors, producers, actors, editors, and what what ends up on the screen sometimes bears very little resemblance to to what you what you were thinking about sure i'm curious what the path to publication was like for you given your background in hollywood and the screenplays that you've written do you do you think you had an easier time selling your first novel the last templar you, you know ironically i i didn't i mean ironically I had a head start in the sense that I had an agent, but The Last Templar was a screenplay I'd written in 1995, and it went to market in 1996 as a, as a book project. So they, a group of agents got together and tried to, tried to sell it as a novel, which would then be turned into, then they'd sell the film rights to this, to this unwritten novel, which would be my screenplay, basically. So right. uh, that was in 1996, and, uh, and they... Uh, the first publisher who was given it in New York jumped on it, made me a huge offer. I don't know if you've read this, this uh, my, my my little saga with the Lost Templar. No, but, I'd like to hear it. Okay, well, 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 it was it was the third third screenplay I ever wrote. I didn't have any agents. Through a friend of a friend of a friend, it got to a book agent, and this whole thing was set up. You know, he said, "Look, this is a controversial piece of work, a very expensive movie to make. If you want to really get this made, the route I'd suggest you take is let's turn it into a novel." Uh, if the book comes out and is a hit, then the odds are the studios would want to make it and and you'd have an easier way to get it made. So I said, great, I didn't have any agents and I was you know desperate to find some way to get my story out. So literally the first publisher and the only publisher who was shown this was a huge publisher in New York whose office was lined with number one bestsellers. And they made me this mega six-figure offer, uh, flew me to New York to sign the deal. And while I was there, where they're talking about how, you know, the first run of 150,000 hardcovers and this and that. And it was all incredible. Uh, you know, I thought I'd, I'd be the writer who had the shortest route to publication ever. <laughs> uh, honestly, I mean, I was pinching myself. Right. And then in this meeting, uh, the publisher said, um, actually, but there's one small thing we'd like to change in your story. 
uh, how we'd like to lose the religion. And I was like, what, you know, what? They said, yeah, you know, the Templar treasure, some, you know, secret about the origins of the church or whatever. That's boring. Let's, let's, let's have gold, silver, jewels, something like that, which basically just ripped the heart out of my whole book, my whole story. And, um, and I just walked away from that deal despite a lot of pressure and despite the fact that I had, hadn't sold a penny's worth of writing in three years. I'd left my job. I had a baby on the way. And it just felt like I felt like an idiot for five years. I felt like, how could I say no to these people who are at the top of their game? Surely they know what they're doing. But somehow I couldn't see the interest in the last Templar being about a hoard of gold. Right. You know, taking away. I was telling them, okay, so the characters, the two leads, the the uh, the, the the really kind of uh, uh, religious FBI agent and the scientific uh, atheist um, archaeologist and all their butting of heads. Well, oh, we'll find something. They were divorced. They're bickering about their past, something like that. And and why is the Vatican involved? Oh, well, they want their gold. Uh, you know, the whole, the whole, the, really the heart of the, I mean, everything I, 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 I thought was interesting about this, this story was, was going to be removed. So anyway, so I walked away from it and that stayed on my, what it did do though, is it did trigger my screenwriting career because a producer here in England heard that there was a screenplay at the origin of this project, got hold of the screenplay, read it, called me up and said, look, this is too big for us to, to, to buy. It's too big a movie for us to make, too controversial. However, anything else you want to write, let me know. I love your writing. So you know, I had 10 ideas and they bought them all and I worked for them and everything was great. But the Templar, the last Templar stayed in my, on my hard drive for years. And every six months I get a call from someone in LA saying, did you once write a screenplay called The Last Templar? Can we talk about it? But, you know, and then it would die. So it was, it was there like just taunting me and torturing me for year <laughs> after year after year. And then an agent at William Morris heard the story and she called me up and we had a meeting and she said, look, you need to write this book. You need to write it yourself. You need to put everything you put in the screenplay and more into this book. That's what, that, you know, this is a great, this will be a really good book. And she kept pestering me. Every three months she'd call and say, have you started? Have you started? Have you started? And so finally, just to get her off my back, I kind of started doing it on the side quietly. You know, my day job was writing TV series. And on the side, I was writing this little, this thing that I never imagined would sell. I thought, you know, it was just something to just get it out of my system. And then when it was finished, halfway through it, of course, the Da Vinci Code came out, and right. I read it immediately, <laughs> and that depressed the hell out of me again. So I called up my agent. I said, look, I just read this great book, um, and I'm stopping my book because you know, it deals with the same theme, and people are going to think I wrote my book you know, after reading his. And, and she said, no, 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 look, keep going. It's very different. You've got a great story there. And you know, God bless her. I mean, if it wasn't for her, I, I, I wouldn't be doing this. And so anyway, when I finally finished it, um, half-heartedly, you know, I just took my time with it. I wasn't in any rush. Um, the publishers here in London, who, who first did the, the 10 big publishers, all passed on it because they either had Da Vinci-esque books already in the, in, in the pipeline because of the success of Dan Brown's book, or they thought the market, well, there were, there were going to be too many books like that out there anyway. So, you know, my, my root publication was a nightmare. And I ended up bumping into a movie director who was, a friend, who, who was an old acquaintance of mine in a restaurant and telling him what was going on. And he said, let me publish it. And I said, hang on, you, you're not a publisher. You're, you're a film director. <laughs> said, yeah, but, yeah, but I published a book last year. He literally published one book the year before. And, uh, and I said, you know what? If you can have this in the stores in three months' time so I can just get it out of my system, we'll do it. I'll do it with you. And and so we did the deal, and I designed a cover with a friend in two days, not not the one you've seen, the, the right. 
one that has a gray Templar helmet on it that was used in many of the international editions. And it hit the stores in, you know, three months later. And I thought, we're done, you know, end of my story. Now I'll go back to writing my screenplays. And then by word of mouth, the book got to number three on Amazon, which was insane. And then the big publishers came back and said, uh, you know what, we'd like to buy this now. And, <laughs> you know, and he was very crafty. He asked for a stupid amount of money and they said, fine, let's do this. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> that, well, that's, that's a, a, definitely an interesting story and I think very instructive for people who may be listening. And um, there, there are plenty of ways to, to go about getting published. Are you are you still now? Are you still working on screenplays, or do you have you devoted yourself primarily to novels? No, you know, since the with the hit of uh, since the since the last Templar became became a hit, I've uh, I've I've totally focused on the books. I enjoy it so much more. There's I can really get into into the meat of the story. I can I can do all the research I like. I can I, you know it, they just become real. I mean the characters. When I finish a book, it takes me ages to move on to another book because I feel it's still in me. I'm still living it with these characters. They've become especially that I've invented three different sets of characters for the first three books. It, it would take a while to to just you know to 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 bring my brain back to neutral and 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 start thinking about. Uh, dealing with a new story so it's just totally immersive it's wonderful it's uh, and i don't have to deal with directors and actors and producers and <laughs> networks and, you know it's, it's great it's such a selfish writing exercise i'd write and i you know i press the send button on my email and it goes to print virtually i mean it's it's i deliver i deliver my books about three or four months max before they're published so which as you as you as you know is is drives my publishers nuts but it's uh I, I tend to write, I tend to polish my work a lot. I, del I only deliver something that I'm really, really happy with. Right. And, and anyway, I, I just love the feeling that my readers can read really what I, what I was, the story I, want, I was uh, set out to tell. Right. And well, in the what way is, I'm, uh, I tell it. Exactly. What is the writing process like for you? Do you extensively outline your books or do you write organically and kind of see where the story takes you? You know, it's changed. It has changed. Uh, the I, I, I had a head start with The Last Templar, given that I had a, a very detailed screenplay. So the book was pretty much an elaboration of the screenplay. The beats were, the story beats were all there. The, the, the main turning points in the story, the characters, everything was there. It was just enriching what was already there, really. Um, so, and coming from screenwriting, where you do outline stuff a lot because you do want to know what those major turning points are, right. I would say with the sanctuary, uh, I probably wasted time on outlining it and knowing kind of what was going. On. But actually, something interesting happened with the sanctuary. Um, I, I, I mean, having said that, it takes me a long time. What I what I find now, what I do, what's happened with the last two books, uh, more and more, is that I find I spend a lot of time making sure the setup. Is correct. So if the setup makes sense, the motivations are all are all uh, uh, they make sense and they're 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 powerful. The characters make sense. They, the reason they're where they are makes sense. The trigger to the story makes sense. As long as the the base of the story makes sense. Once I have that and I'm comfortable with that, I just go because I feel from then on it's a discovery. It's I'm I'm living. I'm letting the characters do what they should do because of who they are. And let them lead me, you know, let me live the story with them. So I no longer, I have a vague idea of where I'd like to end up. I have a vague idea. But what happened with the, with, uh, the sanctuary, uh, which I thought, which, which fascinated me, was 
halfway into the story, one of the lead characters does something. I, I reached a point where he's in a car and he's got someone with him, and and there was no way except there was no choice. There, he only had one choice. There was only one option of what he could do to get him out of a jam. But doing that changed him. Uh, doing that was turned him into a bad guy, basically. And mm-hmm. I thought, and I found that fascinating. I thought, okay, I'm not going to cheat and go back and change things so that he doesn't have to do this. I love the fact that he has to do this. So I had him, you know, he had to do it. It was the logical thing. So he does it. I went back and reread what I'd written the first half of the book, and I found that it was a very, very minor nuance, a little tweak to his personality, a line here, a line there, just kind of gave, you know, a little hint of, hmm, maybe there's something there. And then when he does it, I remember my editor, I, I sent him that part of the book up, up until that point, and he called me and said, whoa, that completely took me, where the hell did that come from? And I'm dying to know what happens next. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, and that kind of taught me, it taught me that, you know what, the, the, if you set the characters up in, 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 well enough, just let them go, let them, let them lead you. And, um, and I've really enjoyed that because it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a journey and it's a long journey. You're spending, you know, months and months working on this thing. So it's, right. it's great to just have the surprise of what's going to happen next. Great. If there are aspiring writers listening to this interview, what advice would you give to someone who's writing and trying to get their work published? Um, well, there are two different things. I mean, I'd say in terms of the writing, I'd say, I'd say, look, look at, look at you, look at what you're thinking of writing. Look at the story. Look at the characters, and then step back and and you know what you know. Do you remember that great scene in Spinal Tap when they when when he says, you know, yeah, but we're louder because our amps go up to eleven. <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> he goes, and so I'd say, you know, step step back for a moment and see if you can turn that knob up to eleven. How can you elevate it? How can you how can you just, you know, you? I mean, I always find that I love reading stuff that takes me away from real life. That just takes me on on an amazing journey that I couldn't possibly experience in my life. Um, and if that's the kind of writing that that you know the listeners you're talking about are, are, are writing, if it's not a piece of a slice of life, if you like, I'd say, and even in slices of life, I'd say, you know, make it just make it as interesting as you can, make it as rich as you can. Just try to push it that extra levels that makes it that much more memorable. If something, if someone's going to do something, find a way for him to do it. That's don't take the easy way out. Find a more interesting way, a more original way for him to do something or say something or end up somewhere. You know, every beat, try to push every beat. That's a, that's a discipline from screenwriting. You know, every page of screenplay, typically in a movie will cost half a million dollars to film. So, and it's just one page. So you think if that page isn't worth half a million dollars, if you can just rip it out, you'll save so much on the budget. So every page has to be worth it. And that's kind of what I bring to the books is every page has to have, you know, everything you write should, should be cranked up to 11, should be memorable and unique. Separately, the, 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 the second part, I guess, is how to get published. I guess it's just really believe in yourself. You know, if you think you've written something special, if you think you've written something good, it will get published. It will find its way. Just keep, I used to say, and I can't tell you the amount of screenplays. I used to fax them, photocopy them, DHL them. It used to cost me a ton of money to to FedEx these things to LA and never hear back. You know, I'd send them to someone who met someone who once knew someone who was the dog walker of someone who met Spielberg's nanny, you know, that kind of thing. (laughs) 
seriously, just follow every single lead and just keep keep you know hitting that wall. And if you've written something good, at some point, someone who's in a position to do something about it will will respond, and it'll it'll get going. I mean, good stories will get published. I, I yeah, but but they need that kind of maniacal. Uh, uh, you follow following you know you you, you right. just need to keep doing it i i've recently heard an interview on npr with terrence winters who was one of the uh writers on the sopranos and he he had one of the the most interesting uh breaking into writing stories that i'd heard in a long time and he he, he writes screenplays he actually found a friend who he went to college with who was an attorney in New York and he called the guy up and said, you're going to be my agent. And the guy said, what? And so he basically created a, a fake agency, yeah. which, he, which he was running from his bedroom in, in, <laughs> in, in LA and would, and would send screenplays out under this, under this, you know, fake agency's name. It was pretty funny. <laughs> it's, I tell you, I mean, the film business is just insane. I was before, when I wrote The Last Templar, I had a partner in London. We optioned a, 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 a small book that was, we, we put it together from a bunch of articles that a, a girl we knew was writing in a, in a magazine, kind of like a Vanity Fair. It was like the back page of Vanity Fair kind of thing. Right. And we, we organized a book out of it and we went down to the Cannes Film Festival and my friend had a few connections in, in the business and, and we, we got pieces in Hollywood Reporter and Variety. That just mentioned our, you know, our our great new partnership and our projects were this thing, The Last Templar, and Single Girl's Diary. This thing was called Single Girl's Diary, based on the novel. I forget the novelist's name. And uh, I I promise you that, like the next day, maybe in the same afternoon, we must have we must have had thirty, forty phone calls, faxes from everybody in LA, basically development people whose job it is, is to track down what's going on and find interesting projects. Right. And we're all, they all called up saying like Meg Ryan's, you know, development person, uh, you know, we think that we think single girls diary would be perfect for Meg Ryan. We'd love to see it when you, when you, when you have something you can show us. I'm like, <laughs> well, but what do you know about it beyond the title? <laughs> you know, exactly. No one has seen any here. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. Right. You just have to keep. You just have to keep hitting that. That uh, just trying to kick that door. In. Well, what's up next for you? What are you working on now? I'm. I'm. My next novel will also feature Tess and Riley from the from the Last Templar and the Templar Salvation. Um, it's uh, it's a story that um, that takes place in between New York, California, and Mexico. So it's a, it's it's a move for me. I, my my previous books have been. More kind of euros. Euro, they've had European settings, mm -hmm. um, and I'm hoping to finish that in time for it to be out in a year's time. And uh, and then I'm going to do another Tess and Riley novel as well. I have I have already have a story mapped out for another Tess and Riley story. At the same time, I've got uh, I'm I'm. I'm going back to TV just in the sense that I've I created a Bible for a TV show and and one of the networks has, has has bought it but you know the road to to actually getting a pilot made and for it to be picked up is is a very long and and torturous road so you know who knows when anything will come out of that but certainly two more but I mean my my priority is the next two Tess and Riley books I'm very excited about great well again we've been speaking with Raymond Corey author of The Templar Salvation, his new thriller, which is in bookstores now. Thanks for joining us, Raymond. Thank you very much, Jeff. I enjoyed it. This is Lee Child, and I'm listening to the Reading and Writing Podcast. Thanks for listening to my latest podcast. 
If you have a chance, please leave a review of the podcast in iTunes. It only takes a moment. Until next time, read some good books and be well. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.